0: Have you ever gone on a website like WebMD and typed in symptoms for whatever sickness you have currently? I know I had a roommate who would do this. It was either WebMD or or the Mayo Clinic website. And basically it would always tell him that he was gonna die, right? And he would freak out and get really worried. An an inaccurate diagnosis isn't helpful, but an accurate diagnosis can be very helpful and very freeing to understand what's wrong with you and how to fix it. In this, this psalm, David is focusing heavily on this disease that he has. And many commentators are kind of, they kind of think of it like WebMD. They're trying to figure out what the symptoms mean as his sickness. But really, it seems like what David is describing here is certain outward symptoms that reflect his inward burden of sin. So it's not necessarily that he is sick as much as he's soul sick, that he, that he has some great burden in his heart because of his sin and his guilt that's causing him to waste away. And so he's describing this soul sickness and the way it results to an internal and an external disintegration of his life. And it even leads to the destruction of relationships. So this is a, um, if you're struggling with guilt, with sin, this is a fantastic Psalm to go back to again and again, to confess your sins to God and to remember what sin leads to. It always leads to disintegration and destruction. So a simple outline for this Psalm, we'll see the the disease first, then the desertion, and then the deliverer. So, but before we get into the Psalm, notice the heading to the psalm so the psalm says a psalm of david for the memorial offering that's at least what it says in the the esv many different versions will translate this to bring to remembrance or something like that the word for memorial offering what the esv translates that that way it's just a word that means remembrance and so it it probably could just simply be translated to bring to remembrance, right? And I think what it's speaking of here is David is saying, I want to be remembered by God when I'm suffering. He wants God to remember him and therefore to act on his behalf. Of course, we've seen that idea of God remembering throughout the Psalms. It's not just him knowing something because God knows all things already. It's for him to bring it to mind in order to act upon it for the deliverance of an individual. So it's probably not about an offering, but simply about bringing your suffering to God and asking him to remember you in the midst of that. So let's look at this Psalm uh, section by section. The first section, we see the disease, the disease. This is verses one to 10. So again, the focus of a Psalms is on this description of a disease, but I think David is describing these symptoms in a way where any sufferer from sin could identify in some way with these symptoms. So if you're struggling, if you're having a hard time, probably some of these symptoms would apply to you. Look at what he says in verses one and two. O oh Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me and your hand has come down on me. He he feels here the discipline of God because of his sin. He uses the metaphor of of arrows, which speaks of the, the searing pain that has come upon him. And it's as if God, his hand and his weapons are against David because David has sinned. He speaks here also of God's anger and his wrath. And what he's saying, I think, is, God, when you discipline me, don't do it in anger or in wrath. He's not necessarily saying, don't rebuke me or don't discipline me. He's saying, when you do that, don't do it in a way that is wrathful or angry. The the discipline of God is a big theme in Scripture, and it's so important to understand. I think often we don't talk about this, that God disciplines those that he loves, That discipline from God, meaning correction when we're in a path of sin, it comes from a heart of love, and it's beneficial to the sinner. Discipline does not equal destruction. Discipline is a good thing. So Hebrews 12, I'm going to read Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. This is a longer verse than I would typically read, but this is um, such an important one for us to meditate on as we're thinking about discipline. Hebrews 5 to 11 Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Wow, this, this passage teaches us so much about discipline, but you can see clearly here the heart that God has in discipline. It's that he loves us, and in fact, you wouldn't be a true child of God if he did not discipline you and give you discomfort and struggles when you were caught in sin to help pull you out of that and to teach you obedience. We see that it's beneficial for us, right? He says, Verse 11, all discipline seems painful in the moment, but it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. So this discipline is painful. It's harsh. It feels sometimes like it's it's too much for us to bear. And yet God uses that to bring righteousness into our hearts. And so discipline can be the result of sin. Uh, Of course, not all suffering is the result of sin. We've seen many Psalms where David is saying, I'm innocent in this instance. I don't deserve what's happening to me. God vindicate my cause. But sometimes our suffering is because of sin. And we have to be honest about that and really evaluate our situation and think, have I gotten in this situation because of my own sin? A passage that comes to mind for me when I think of sin connected to destruction is Psalm or sorry, Proverbs 19.3 which says when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. And so often when we are in a bad situation, we're suffering because of our own sin. We think it's God's fault. We blame God because of it. So we have to be honest and consider, is the situation that I'm in, is the my current state of suffering, is it the result of my foolishness or my sin? We should be thankful for God's discipline. We should be thankful that God cares about us enough not to leave us in our sin and let us be satisfied with us but to give us discomfort and burdens and even physical effects sometimes in order to bring us out of that sin he goes on in psalm 38 in verse 3 he says there is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation there is no health in my bones because of my sin what he's experiencing is affecting him in his totality He's, he's saying there's no no soundness, no health. It's a comprehensive disintegration of his physical state. And he mentions flesh and bones. This refers to his internal or external and his internal condition, right? Flesh is sort of more the outward, like your skin or, or your body. And then bones is the very inner um, aspect of who you are physically. So he has this complete... Um, destruction or disintegration that's happening because of a sin. And David's honest about why this is happening. He sees his situation accurately. He says, verse four, for my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. Here there's an open admission of sin. Sometimes that, that, that suffering in your life is because of your own actions. And here David understands that and he's being honest about it. He's saying, I'm in this condition because of what I've done. And there's a recognition in this verse of what sin is. Sin is a heavy burden. It's a heavy burden. It weighs us down. It overwhelms us. And not only that, it's not just heavy, it's too heavy. It's too heavy for David to actually carry. There's no way that David in his situation or you in your situation can carry the burden of sin. There's no way that you can resolve that burden. I thought of Isaiah 518, which comes to mind often when thinking of the burden of sin. It says, woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with cart ropes. That picture is of just dragging your sin around, carrying this heavy burden along instead of giving it up, right? There's, there's someone who can take that burden and who can put it away forever. I thought of, as I was reading this, of the classic allegory, Pilgrim's Progress, I don't know if you've read that, that old story by John Bunyan. I read it when I was, I think, a sophomore in high school because I went to a Christian school. But it starts with the main character who has a burden on his back, and he can't deal with it, and he, and he's overwhelmed by it until eventually he finds the cross and his burden falls off of him. And I, I just, I've always loved that picture. What an amazing picture that we don't have to keep carrying around this terrible burden that's too heavy for us. We have no solution to it. So instead, we give it to Jesus at the cross, and he puts it away forever. Let's read verses five through eight. This is, my wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I'm utterly bowed down and prostrate all day. I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning, and there's no soundness in my flesh. I'm feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. When I I read these verses, I can't help but think of... uh, of uh, Tim Hawkins I don't know if you've ever heard Tim Hawkins the Christian comedian which I know some people think that sounds terrible he actually is very funny but he, he has this bit where he talks about how when he was signing books or pictures or something for for fans someone said put your favorite Bible verse on there and he put Psalm 38 7 and, which in the KJV is something like um, lo I have, a, I have a burning disease in my loins or something like that um, so anyway just very funny uh, a little bit um, but the the picture here is not funny right i mean it's it's this intense picture of wounds that are festering right he he can't stand up he has burning in his sides he's weak and his heart is erratic everything about him is affected and again this list of of symptoms it reminds us it's not about necessarily what disease he has but it reminds us that sin um, causes so many tangible effects. It can affect us in so many ways. If you were to list out the way that sin has affected you negatively, you'd be stunned at the ways it's affected your, your mind and your, your use of time and your relationships, even your physical health or lack thereof. In verse nine, he says, oh, Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. And the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. So David's saying, even though he can't accurately express what's on his heart, God already knows. He, he sees everything and he knows before David confesses. And, and that reality shouldn't be an excuse for us to not pray. Right, to say, oh, well, God already knows it. I don't need to mention it to God. It, no, it's actually a good foundation for prayer. It, it's the place that we can start, that God already knows the truth, and he knows what you need. He sees you exactly for who you are, so why be prideful or hold back a, full, full, a, a wholehearted confession of your sins? No, instead, come to him in faith and express your longings and your needs, knowing that he already knows and he wants to forgive. So, so we see the, the picture here of David's um, disease. It's a very strong one. And it's, again, it's probably a metaphor for the sickness in his soul and how it's worked its way out. Psalm 38, verses 11 to 14, we see the second section, which is the desertion, the desertion. Not only are there real physical effects of the sin, it also has relational effects. Verse 11 says, my, my friends and companions stand aloof from my plague and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. He's been abandoned by those he loves. Those who are supposed to be closest to him have gone far, far away. They don't want to be near him or associated with him. They don't want to be contaminated by whatever he's got. And it's coupled with the harm planned by those who hate him. He's, he's left by his friends and he's got attacks and, and vicious vitriol from his enemies. They're trying to snare him and find ways to ruin him. They're, they're consumed with finding ways to hurt and to tear down David. He has no enemies left and his, oh sorry, no friends left and his enemies are active and aggressive. So he says in verse 13, he says, but I am like a deaf man. I do not hear like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth are no rebukes. So David's response is not to stand up for himself, but it's to be silent. It's to not hear or respond to their attacks. It's unclear if he doesn't want to respond or if he's unable to respond. If he's that beaten down but he's silent before his accusers and in part it seems like that maybe because he acknowledges that his sin has put him in this condition he's deserving of it at least to some degree but maybe also because he has faith in god he knows that god is the only one who can act on his behalf to get him out of the situation that he's put himself in so david doesn't need to respond because he has hope in god so we see the disease first then the desertion and then The last section, we see the deliverer, the deliverer. We see so clearly that deliverance can only come from one place, and that's from God himself. And, And how basic is this as we've been studying through the Psalms to say that only God can deliver from these kinds of disasters, but do we forget it? Do we, do we start to think that other things, other religions or other practices or other, um, uh, I don't know, whatever it might be, other uh, worldly idols are are what can deliver us? Do we put our trust in other things? No, it's it's only God who can deliver. He says, verse 15, but for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. God is able to answer David's accusers when he can't answer them. That's the idea here. David is the one who can answer. And this is the turning point of the psalm where we see an answer to David's problem, right? And there's praise God that there's an answer, right? We can imagine a world in which we would simply have to deal with our sins. That seems like a very logical world where we'd be doomed to, to bear all the consequences of what we've done, where there's no way to reverse our problems, where we just have to carry this burden of sin until it crushes us into the ground. That would be completely logical, completely fair, but God is so gracious to provide a deliverer for us. He's our deliverer, and Jesus Christ is the one who delivers us. Verse 16, he says, For I said, only let them not rejoice over me who boast against me when my foot slips, for I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. He's ready to fall, or he's literally set to fall. He's established or firmly planted To fall which sounds like an oxymoron right because it is those two things are contradictory but it's the condition of a sinful person that they're constantly changing that's the only thing that's fixed firmly is that they're going to be destroyed and so paul sees how unstable he is and so he does the only logical thing he says in verse 18 i confess my iniquity i am sorry for my sin a full confession of sin Amazing. And with no reservations, no equivocations, no explanations that might kind of make you feel bad for him because of how he got in the situation. He just says, I confess. I'm sorry. We we forget how powerful this, this really is. Um, the solution to destruction in your life because of sin is not for you to try harder. It's not for you to do good things to make up for the bad things you've done. It's not putting on a good face. It's not trying to power through, or giving in and giving up. No, the only solution that we have is confession. It's to accurately say, this is what I've done, God, and to to beg for his forgiveness, knowing that, again, he loves to receive people who come to him asking for forgiveness. And yet it's amazing how often we can avoid this. What's the pattern in your own life with the sins you struggle with do you come quickly to God and ask for his forgiveness? Or does it take you being put in a situation like this where you're suffering and you're miserable and you go, I have no other option but to go to God. It's it's wise to keep a short record of our sins, to not let them pile up before we come to God and ask for his forgiveness. That's why we as a church, I mean, we should do this every day in our own lives, but this is why we have communion and we take a time in communion to solemnly reflect and to think on okay have i sinned are there ways that i need to to confess my sins to god we need to do this often verse 19 he says but my foes are vigorous they are mighty and many are those who hate me wrongfully those who render me evil for good accuse me because i follow after good he has foes that are mighty and many but the one who is on his side is greater. And so he ends with this final prayer, verses 21 and 22. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. So he ends with praying for God's presence, his help, and his salvation. It ends just kind of like Psalm 37 ended, the last Psalm that we studied. It ended on the same note of hope, And looking forward to god's salvation and again as we've seen so often what david didn't know we do know we understand how this salvation will happen we understand just exactly how sure our salvation is because we've seen the realization of it in jesus christ jesus was our burden carrier He's the one who takes our burden upon himself. Philippians 3 says that we can cast our burdens on him. Right? We can give our burdens to him. We don't have to carry them ourselves. Jesus carries our burdens. And, And even to be much more specific, when I'm saying burdens, I'm not just simply saying the worries that we have, although that's obviously true. But the greatest burden that we carry is the burden that David talks about here, which is the burden of sin and guilt. And Jesus takes that for us. He takes it and he forgives it forever. He doesn't, he doesn't call us to keep living in a burdened and, and destroyed way. He calls us to find life, life and forgiveness through his gift because he gave his life for us on the cross. And also, I think there's a comparison here, um, you a know, contrast as well, but Jesus, he's also the silent sufferer. For David, when he's suffering in silence, it's because Maybe he's unable or unwilling to respond because of his guilt. With Jesus, it's far different. Jesus was, was sil- silently suffering because he wanted to give his life for us. He had his friends abandon him. His disciples left him when he was in need, and his enemies surrounded him, and they looked like they were many and mighty and that they would they would be victorious against him. But Jesus suffered silently in order to pay the price for our sins. Listen to 1 Peter 2, 22 so that he would pay the price for us, not saving himself, but giving himself over for us. So now when we're in difficulty like David was, we can we know where the answer lies. It lies in him who suffered before us, who endured all these things for us. We can trust him to not only save our souls, but to deliver us from the suffering and the attacks that we're in currently. So I hope as we as you think on this psalm, And you meditate on it some more today. I hope that you'll see this Savior more clearly today and that you'll rejoice in his salvation.